This is Troy Wagner. This is Eric Miller. We are Ravers for Recovery. Recovery. And if you're listening to this, so are you. you. How was your day? How was your week? We want to hear from you. Reach out to us by email, info at raversforrecovery.org. And go ahead and connect with others in recovery by joining our Facebook page. And always stay up to date with the latest news by visiting our website, www.raversforrecovery.org. And now, join us for this week's podcast. Very grateful today to have Chris Marshall out of Austin, Texas. He is the CEO and founder of the Sands Bar. If you're not familiar with the Sands Bar, it is an AF alcohol-free bar that still allows people, even in recovery or even sober curious, to enjoy a night out without the pressure of alcohol. How are you today, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Thank you for being on the show. So, Chris, I know you... I listened to one of the other podcasts that you were on, and I believe you grew up in Texas, correct? Yeah, I grew up in uh, East Texas. I was born in East Texas. Spent uh, probably the first five years of my life there, and then uh, my mom moved me and my younger sister to Houston, so I, I spent most of my growing up in Houston, Texas. Okay, awesome. Yeah, um, we do have that in common. So I was born in 1980 at Dallas Children's Hospital. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, and then uh, gra- graduated from Allen, Texas, uh, Allen High School, went to Lon Morris College, which is in a town called Jacksonville, Texas. Um, it's Jacksonville, about- Texas? Yep. It's about 30 minutes south of Tyler. Oh, I know exactly where Jacksonville is. <laughs> yeah, I got family all in East Texas, man. So I, when you said Jacksonville, Texas, I can't believe it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then went on to graduate with my bachelor's from uh, University of North Texas. So yeah, I, UNC. Yep. Yep. So um, thank you for coming on the Ravers for Recovery podcast. Um. Let's see, are you in recovery yourself? And would you like to tell us any of your story? And then we'll get more into Sandsbar. Sure, yeah. So I identify as a person in long-term recovery. Um, I've been sober since February 15, 2007. So uh, at the time of this airing, in a couple of weeks, I'll have 13 years. Wow, congrats. Um, oh, thank you. I mean, I just, it sounds very... Uh, strange to say that out loud that I've been sober without any drugs or alcohol for almost 13 years. Uh, I definitely, definitely remember when I was 13 days sober and still feeling very unsure about uh, my life and what I was going to do with it. So, yeah, I mean, I think my story is much like anyone else's story. Um, that's one thing I've learned just meeting people across the country that uh, the through line of almost every story that I've heard is that they never felt like they were like everyone else. And for me, that was a very extreme um, way I started out my life. I started out my life feeling like I just did not belong. My father was mentally ill. Um, my parents divorced when I was five. And I, um, 
I, I took it very hard. I think I, I saw myself immediately as different than all the other five-year-olds who had parents that were still together. I think I saw myself differently uh, as, you know, sometimes the only child of color in the classroom in East Texas. I mm, think mm. the more I uh, moved through this world, I always looked for the differences in how I was different from everyone else. And uh, I so desperately just sought belonging and sought connection to anyone um, that I would encounter. I wanted to be everyone's friend. And um, sometimes yep, that means yep. that I, I compromise things that I that I value. You know, like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to do something, but I would do it because everyone else was doing it. Because I, I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted to feel a part of. And, um, yeah, I, you know, went, uh, moved from Houston to a smaller town called Sugarland outside of Yeah. Houston, Texas, yep. and uh, did most of my kind of middle school through high school there, and um, I was introduced to alcohol um, around the age of 15, 16, and uh, like most people that have had uh, experiences with drugs and alcohol, they can kind of remember their first uh, drink, and I'll definitely, definitely never forget my first drink. It was on a very hot Texas day. Uh, there was some beer that had been sitting out in someone's car, and uh, there was, you know, me and four of my friends, and uh, these were my friends and my buddies. We had, you know, we spent hours just hanging out at each other's houses, and um, they had all experienced alcohol before, and I hadn't, and I had, I think I had kind of planned not to. Um, I, I just didn't see the point, and it didn't seem like it was something that was going to be good for me. You know, I just knew that it just was not a healthy thing for, for me personally. But uh, in this moment, I was faced with this decision uh, to either, you know, be different and divergent from my friends, so I so desperately wanted to just have them accept me and mm-hmm. care about me, mm-hmm. or I could go my own way. And, you know, for me at that time, it was a no-brainer. It, there was not even any peer pressure. There was a self-induced pressure to fit in. Um, no one said, you need to drink this. Uh, and in fact, you know, shortly after, uh, people would keep asking me not to drink, right? So it wasn't that people were pressuring me to drink. I just wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to fit in and, and feel like everyone else. And uh, I took that first drink and uh, immediately understood that this changed the way that I felt. Um, and I also noticed that it, it made me feel like I belonged. And it made, or not care, maybe not care about mm. that. It made me not care mm-hmm. that I didn't look like everyone else. Or I didn't have as much money as everyone else or um, that other people could get the girl and I couldn't. Like that, mm. all, all those things mm. didn't matter because I was drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, so, I definitely know what you mean and what you are talking about. I had, I had most of that. I felt a lot of that. Um, I think whenever, I don't know. It's weird. Like I felt a lot of that whenever I graduated college and then I moved out to Vegas and everyone had nice cars, nice women, money to spend on bottle service. And that's, you know, I, I felt like I really fit in, but maybe that was because, you know, I was on ecstasy and on, uh, on, you know, drunk and all of that. Um, I felt like I was, I felt like I was really fitting in, you know, in the club scene. Right, right. And I think that's what so many people do, and they don't even realize what they're doing. I think alcohol is 
so alcohol is so good at becoming other things, right? It, it kind of disguises itself into many other things. And I think what some people use alcohol for is to relax and enjoy, you know, being with other people. But for some people, it disguises itself or morphs into this tool that people use to feel something that they don't, to feel popular or attractive Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. valued or successful or intelligent. Um, It it, it has this this ability to be used like a tool. And um, for a while that works. And I mean, I'll just stick to my story. For me, it worked for a while. it did and it didn't, I just, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, it also did not work very well as a tool for me. Uh, I got my first DUI at 16, the second time I drank ever in my life. Um, I, w- I just could not have a healthy relationship with an actual poison. You know, I think people talk about a healthy relationship with alcohol. It's an actual poison. It really is. It's ethanol. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's nothing good or there's no benefits derived uh, from drinking alcohol yep. I, I just could not uh, you know, have a right relation with this stuff so um, I didn't even graduate high school uh, I was too drunk uh, to finish any of my um, 12th grade kind of classes and had to graduate in summer school and I and I think that was only because they were being really nice um, hmm. I just was not showing up to life and I and I was still you know not even 18 I mean I just was already um just drinking, just just trying to get that feeling of belonging, and um, you know, did a couple years in college at, in San Antonio, uh, failed out of college, uh, joined a fraternity uh, to become a to feel a part of and to feel mm-hmm. like I belong, right? And, Expensive um, <laughs> to join uh, those. <laughs> you know, it was, but to me, it was a small price to pay because I felt like those people would care about me and um and they genuinely did i mean i I will say this for for all the you know um negative things that people say about fraternities one thing i can say is true that there are some of those men today who, who have reached out to me when i was just getting sober and were just so glad that i was getting sober and saw that i was really struggling in college and they were kids themselves, you know, in, in retrospect. They didn't know what to do. And they they did the best that they could. So, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, people say that you are paying for your friends, but I also think that for some people, um, it helps them to find, you know, a group of people that they belong with. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I would have, for whatever it was, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do college, couldn't do fraternity life, I couldn't mm-hmm. do... Uh, basic things that you know, you know, at 21, 22, uh, I was already drinking, uh, you know, a bottle of vodka a day and a six pack of beer for breakfast. Um, in addition, running simultaneous to this drinking problem that I was having, I was start- starting to experience more mental health problems. So I already had kind of anxiety and depression. Uh, kind of things that I dealt with. But when I started drinking these excessive amounts, and I mean just drinking for um, weeks on end, just not stopping, um, the depression and the anxiety would just flare up. And it was just so uh, horrendous. And I would just self-medicate, and it would just be this vicious cycle. Um, 
Yeah, and then I got sober at 23. And uh, wow. I went to rehab for the last time, and things changed. Never looks back. I wish I could have learned it that young. You know, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, someone else said that to me the other day, like, wow, that's really young. And, and I, yeah. <laughs> I, I said it when I first got sober, and I still mean it today. If I could have kept drinking, I would have. I really, 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 really would have. My my body, my physical self was beginning to shut down and I just could not, you know? And so it wasn't that I was some like, oh, you're so aware at 20s. No, like my, I already had scarring on my liver at wow. 22, you know? Um, I was throwing up blood, like my body was shutting down. Um, and wow. so it was more of a necessity than, at the time it was more of a necessity than it was anything else. I needed to stop drinking. And eventually, I, I wanted to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And you did, and you did. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So let's get into the Sands Bar. What? How did you get first get the idea of creating a alcohol-free bar? Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll build build a little bridge for you. Okay. <laughs> It, it does. It does matter. Like it, that time, I know. I know. It, it, they seem like the two separate things, but they're the same thing. Um, I got sober uh, through no, no, you know, desire of my own initially, but then eventually wanted to stay sober. Got sober. I moved to Austin, became a counselor, and then when I was working with clients in treatment, uh, I recognized that there was this, this pattern, this, this this repeating, revolving door that we in the industry just seem to be okay with. That people would go out, they'd relapse, they'd come back, and every time they would relapse, I always ask them the same question. Why, what's going on? Why are you relapsing? Mm -hmm. And the same question, or the same answer would always be the same. You know, I go out and drink because I don't want to be alone, and I don't like to be lonely. And I miss my friends, and I don't have any friends. Mm -hmm. So I created Sands Bar to answer that problem or to, to tackle that problem that that problem of what happens when we make a decision to slow down or stop our drinking um and what i discovered that it is so much more than just that it's it's, it's not just for people who don't want to drink it's for people who want to connect it's for people who feel lonely and they're okay with hanging out without drinking mm-hmm yeah, that's that's definitely made a big difference. I know in my um my I I don't even have one year at this point yet off of uh off of my drug of choice, you know. But um definitely the awesome. fellowship. Awesome. I wish we had a sands bar here. Um but the uh the fellowship of the meetings and we have an Alano club here. So, right. you know, with pool and ping pong and all that stuff. Yeah. Looking to hopefully start an event on a Friday um, and do some mocktails. I know you guys do mocktails a lot. Those are pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think that anyone can do this. I mean, I'm not, I had no business experience. I had no bartending experience. Um, I just was determined to create space for people. And, and yes, I, I think, you know, you know, just judging by the title of your podcast, most <laughs> people that probably would listen to this are in recovery. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of expand it out a bit more because I know that 
for me, yes. I mean, as someone who did use 12-step meetings to get sober, mm-hmm. I had a fellowship, and that fellowship kept me sober and loved me, um, helped keep me sober, and loved me until I could love myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely could not make it without that fellowship. But um, there are a lot of people who don't identify as, you know, in recovery, and they don't want to. Correct, I mean, correct. So people... Yeah. You know, for those people, Sandbar is, you know, a way to find that community. Okay, so there are people that... Okay. Yeah, I try to... You know, for Ravers for Recovery, of course, it's a lot of electronic music around it. We try to highlight the DJs that are either in recovery or support recovery, such as Moby, Cascade, um, other big DJs like that. But like to be welcoming to all those that support. There's a one of the members actually left a story that she's not in recovery herself, but she still supports recovery. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope it doesn't drive away. Yeah, I hope it doesn't drive away some people. You know that. But yeah, it it's still a good thing to do, no matter. But. Oh, absolutely. I, I think anyone who uh, can't support people in recovery, I mean, that's like saying you don't support, you know, helping out with, you know, wildfire fire efforts or, you know, rescuing, you know, mm-hmm. animals from, you know, deep wells. I don't know. Something, you know, it's, it's like, you, how could you not support recovery? I mean, you may not like the particular brand by which someone recovers or the particular method, but... The, the individual is someone that is struggling, someone that's hurting, and someone that hopefully gets to a place of healing. And if that's what that person is experiencing, um, we should all be cheering and celebrating that person on. So, you know, if people don't get it, that's okay. Uh, but there are plenty of people who respect the journey of recovery mm-hmm. and who, um, you know, just have been so good and kind to me and other people. Um, it's uh, you know, I hope the world wakes up and realizes I can, that. I can only Im- is a good thing. I can only imagine the people that you have met on your journey. You know, I just began the uh, Ravers for Recovery Facebook group here in August. No, o- October, I think. And I'm already speaking to you for one thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just I can. It's going to be an awesome journey. Awesome journey. Um. Yeah, I, I I will look forward to watching your journey and watching uh, what happens to your um, you know your concept because I think it's very needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, when I go to festivals and uh, when I go to you know here in Austin, we have you know ACL and there's a little sober park. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and I hear that that's the big thing kind of happening in the, these, like, other, like, Electric Daisy and some of these other mm-hmm. uh, big festivals, but there's this portion of it, or there's a group of people that are kind of coalescing and um, staying sober together. So it's very cool to see that the scene, um, kind of the rave scene, and, you know, the EDM scene is, is really um, embracing just making space for people in yeah. recovery. I think that that's really impressive. But yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I want to, I want to see you make it and grow and 
Um, I just, as I'm thinking right now, I got like five of my friends that I definitely want to connect you with so you can do interviews with them on your podcast. Yeah, I would love I to. I would love cool to. Friends and uh, connect you with some people. And uh, yeah, I think it's a very interesting thing to talk about recovery uh, if you're in recovery. But I think it's really interesting to talk about recovery if you're not in recovery. Mm, mm, uh, if, mm. if you are sober, but you don't necessarily identify as being in recovery. See, um, I've been, there's, practice. there's, I think there's still just so much stigma around it, you know, and, tr- and more groups and uh, organizations, I guess, that get out there, we're lowering that stigma, but I still feel that there is a big stigma out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one, one reason the, the stigma persists is because people that are in recovery, um, they, they allow that stigma to persist. I mean, I really do think that a lot of, like, we allow ourselves to think, like, oh, we can't talk about it. And you can absolutely and you should talk about being in recovery as loudly and as proudly as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing in any literature and anywhere that says you can't yell to the top of the on top of a mountain that you're sober. And you should. Um, but we have this idea that we have to be quiet about it and or that we should be ashamed of it. Um, stigma is broken when we decide not to be treated anything less than a child of God. That mm-hmm. that is when stigma is broken. Um, stigma never comes, breaking stigma never comes from the people that are stigmatizing. That's, that's never how that happens in this country mm-hmm. or in this world, you mm-hmm. know. It comes when people decide that they will not allow themselves to be talked about in any other way other than with respect and deference for their journey. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, that's a lie. I'm just taking it back here, you know. I love that I have you on this podcast. And if you were to say there's a mission with Sands Bar, what is, you know, what is the mission for Ravers for Recovery is really like to show people that they are still able to go to electronic dance festivals and enjoy the scene, enjoy the peace, love, unity, and respect, and the music, and good times with their friends, um, you know, and... Well, and stay clean and sober. I'm, I think you might have already covered it, but is there one main mission for Sandsbar? Absolutely. Yeah, it's to create a sober, safe, and inclusive environment for people to authentically connect. That That's it. Uh, that is the mission in a nutshell. And um, Safe. It has to be safe for everyone. It has to be safe for the people that are coming. It has to be safe for the you know people that are performing. It has to be safe for... The companies that are involved, sober, um, and not just alcohol-free, but to be sober and to be aware of what you're doing and to practice consent. Um, mm-hmm. And then it has to be inclusive. And again, I just will not tolerate anyone shaming anyone or you know taunting anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we do allow people to come in uh, who aren't sober. You know, um, not drunk, but. If they've had a drink for that day, um, or they had a drink that day, I allow them to come in. As long as they're cool, I allow that to happen because I want to be inclusive of all people. And what I've found, especially in Austin, is that when I do that, people who are struggling and don't know where else to go, mm-hmm. um, they're able to they're able to find a place where they're accepted. Like, hey, I'm trying not to drink. 
So hey, I was kind of nervous when I, you know, getting here. I didn't wasn't gonna know anyone, so I had a I had a shot of whiskey, and I still come in. Oh. And you know, at first I was like, no, you can't. Yeah, I, I listen. Oh, sorry. 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 No, no, I was going to say that I was listening to one of the other podcasts that you were on, and you were, I think you were speaking about one night where some people came up to the door you know that had been drinking earlier in the night and you were like awesome thank you for being here um we would love to have you you know just on another night when you have not been drinking yeah i mean that that and there's been other nights where that's happened and if people are really really sloppy and like just not respecting the space that's entirely different Mm -hmm. um and I, and I have changed my view on that, I guess. You know, it's, at first I was very strict about that. Like, no one can come in if they've been drinking. But then it doesn't allow people who are struggling with alcohol or drugs um, to come in. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just very protective, again, because the first tenant is safety, right? Like, it has to be safe. And if someone is causing a massive problem, if someone is just, you know, belligerent, but I've really only had to have... Um, a kind of conversation with maybe three people in the two years that we've been open. Okay, okay. I have three people, three people I can I can think of where I'm just like, okay, you, I, I'm going to ask you to leave because you just aren't good for this space. Mm-hmm. And I've never had to argue with anyone. Like, it's really amazing. Um, I've just never had to argue with anyone. You know, I just always like this is about pe- people feeling safe and. If you're intoxicated, no one feels safe here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there aren't, so there aren't like uh, like other clubs, big old bouncers having to take care of issues. You know, that's a great thing. No. I remember a number of nights. Yeah. I remember so I did club promotions in Las Vegas for uh, I had a website Nocturnal Vegas VIP did uh, hosting for like bottle service stuff like that. And I remember many times where I've seen people. You know where bouncers had to take them out the back door, so a lot. So right. this sounds like a much more enjoyable night than seeing that happening around you. And oh my god, you know. So what would a typical night at Sandsbar be? Are there speakers there? Are there activities, games? Yeah, so it's changed a lot since I got started. You know, when I, when I first started this thing, um, I really wanted to provide just what I would see in a normal bar. Like, I really just wanted to, like, give people that experience. I thought that would be kind of cool. And most importantly, I thought I thought that's what people were missing. They were missing going out, getting dressed up. Yeah, and yeah. So that, and, and I think that to some degree people do. But I think people really miss, or what they think they're missing is the fun. And the, the way that you felt like you're just together and you could just talk all night. Um, and I, I learned that conversation is that magic elixir. Conversation really does change the way you feel. Hmm. When you are working, uh, or not working with, but when you're talking with uh, another human being, um, all kinds of wonderful, beautiful neurochemicals are released. And you, you feel... A, a bit of pleasure because it is pleasurable to talk to other human beings right or else we wouldn't do it so okay. I let that be the be the uh, substitute for, for alcohol is the connection that you get with other people and so yeah so sometimes it's music sometimes it's um, talks and 
conversations. Sometimes it's games. Most times it's you know just you know karaoke. We do a lot of things nice. that are about creating community and cheering someone else on. And you know karaoke is a great example where um, so many people have never done karaoke sober, and <laughs> so they're very very nervous. And then the crowd cheers them on. And when they get done, everyone's high fiving them. And then that that scene, right? That that person had mm-hmm. that experience of walking off a stage and people high fiving you in a full bar of people you didn't know. It creates a sense of community. community. And, and, and oh, go ahead. You know, like I, I just I think that that's that's the, the magic of fans bar. Mm-hmm. I was also going to say that, you know, if someone does get up there and does karaoke and they're sober-minded, then it gives them confidence in so many other areas of their life, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. really awesome. So, um, let's see. Is there anything that you would like to tell anyone who is listening and currently struggling with addiction or alcoholism or maybe just thinking of trying uh you know a uh to go out one night without drinking yeah um i would definitely i would recommend that people um have a group of friends that they're with uh never I wouldn't say never, but it's, it makes it much easier to succeed going out and staying sober if you have a group of friends that you're with. Mm-hmm. I would also suggest remembering why you want to stop drinking. Uh, you know, for, for people, it can vary. You know, there can be a thousand reasons why people decide to stop drinking. But whatever it is, remember your why. Remember why this matter to you because a year, two years, 12 years, 20 years after your last drink, that why will still matter. You know, you won't not drink because, you know, for other reasons, but the why still matters. And for me, the why is drinking was disconnecting me from people when I so desperately my whole life told you from like the time I was five years old, I desperately wanted to connect with people. Mm -hmm. When I stopped drinking, I was finally able to really connect with people and to finally feel a part of. And I found a wow. uh, community in the fellowship of people in recovery. I found community in church. I found community with my family and having the right relationship with my family. Things that I would, I thought I'd never have those things or never long for time with my family or wishing to be uh, with my in-laws in South Texas. Those are <laughs> things that I genuinely have today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because I remember my why, why I stopped, and and why picking up again is never a good idea. It is, it, like, I'm sure other people have this issue as well, but for me, sometimes, you know, it is difficult to remember the why, I think, because, uh, I don't know, I guess we can get complacent in recovery sometimes, or just, like, I, I miss the nights out sometimes, and... In Las Vegas, and uh, yeah, it's awesome to see that there are other places to go out, and uh, we don't have to use to be a part of. But I guess I was it was ingrained for me for so long. I was in Las Vegas for 15 years and working in the industry, 
So it became such a part of me that, you know, I had to move. So I had to move out of Las Vegas. I currently live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. But that changing the people, places, and things. Not that everyone has to do that, but definitely I did. I went to some recovery meetings there in Las Vegas, but just wasn't able to stay on the straight and narrow, I guess. But I did hear that you were thinking of maybe having a Sands Bar Las Vegas in the future. Yeah, um, that's that's a dream. I mean, there's you know there's a there's a lot of dreams I had. I was so close to coming to Las Vegas last year um, to do a pop up there in the, in July, as a matter of fact, and uh, it just didn't work out. Um, it just didn't quite work. It's hard. It's hard to kind of do a pop up thing in Vegas because they're so strict. The whole state of Nevada, really, but. Mm-hmm. Um, really it's Las Vegas it's really hard to break into because everything is you know entertainment and tourism and so they're very selective and kind of uh, you have to kind of know someone I think to, to kind of get in anywhere because all the places I tried to work with they're like you need an entertainment license it was a whole thing mm-hmm. um, but that's okay I, that's never a challenge has never stopped me before and I will continue to figure it out because I think that would just be an incredible thing. I, I'm going to have a lot of fun uh, later this year when I'm in New Orleans because that's um, kind of a similar situation where people have an assumption about that city. Uh, and I know mm-hmm. that the recovery is really good in Las Vegas and it's really good in New Orleans. It is really good in Las Vegas. Um, region 50, well, that's, there is a recovery uh, region there. I know a lot of people in they're in Las Vegas. Um, but yeah, uh, are you coming to Denver at all? That's close to me. <laughs> Working on it, man. Working okay. on it. I'll be in uh, Reno in September. Okay. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll look at we'll look at you know Colorado because I have a lot of uh, interest. People interested in you know in Denver, Fort Collins, Boulder. Nice. Uh, it's been a lot of interest in Colorado for some reason, so uh, it seems like it's going to be just a matter of time. Nice. Awesome. Well, I am very, very, very grateful to have had this opportunity to speak with you, Chris. Um, if anyone would like to learn more about Sandsbar or follow your social media to see what's going on, what cities you're in and all of that. How would they go about doing that? Yeah. So I would say the best way to kind of stay in touch with me and figure out what's happening, uh, is to stay on social media. Uh, Instagram is usually the most, uh, up to date. Excuse me. Hold on one second. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so Instagram is, uh, usually the, the easiest, um, to stay up to date with and then Facebook um, I'm, on, I'm at Sans underscore bar so that's S-A-N-S underscore B-A-R and uh, yeah lastly my website I don't keep my website up to date which I, I gotta get better at but um, yeah I mean any of those things or just send me an email uh, sansbarinfo at gmail.com and I will uh, respond to every message. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a time when I didn't, and I cannot think of one. Um, <laughs> part of what has made this fun for me is being able to, to genuinely connect with so many people around the world. And um, 
it's been a pleasure connecting with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed this very much. I, I like I said, I and I mean that. I really do think that your podcast has a great future, and I really do want to connect you with some of my friends from across the country who are just making great strides. Awesome. I would love it. And very appreciative once again. And I'll keep my eye out for a local Sands Bar. And so will all the other listeners. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to another episode of the Ravers for Recovery podcast. I am Troy Wagner. I'm Eric Miller. And we are Ravers for Recovery. Recovery. And if you listen to this, you are too. Go ahead and join the Facebook group, which is growing quickly. You'll find that with keyword Ravers for Recovery. Also, make sure to check out the website. A lot of cool info on there. That's at ravers4recovery.org. Until next time, again, we are Ravers Ravers for for Recovery. Recovery.